Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you say that when we know Maradona was doing cocaine from Tuesday till Friday every week? That makes it even better. This could be led naturally to two titles while being on cocaine. That's amazing. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tigers podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H. Hey, everyone. It's Carl Anker. How you doing? We record this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on social media. All the links are in the description of the podcast. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. Check it out. If you want to help the podcast out monetarily, we have a Patreon page that you can check out. So look us up. $3 a month. And, you know, you get access to new new podcasts that we make and the back catalog of podcasts that we've made. You know, if you're on Spotify, give us a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Leave us a five-star review. And we will read it on the show. Carl, where can people find you online? You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at Anchorman616. Uh, and you can also find my writing on The Athletic. So, mm. uh, yeah. You know, one reason I'm not on Talking Factors as much as I used to be, because I like to do this for a living now. Mm. <laughs> where are you available online? You can find me on the street. <laughs> That's not what I asked, but all right. I'm at Daniel to look. Let's start the podcast. So, Oh, not start it? <laughs> I just went on a tangent because I thought about Twitter, but you know that won't make the real podcast. So I said before the podcast we were going to start with Spurs United. Let's start with Spurs United. Have you guys seen Mourinho's rant, by the way, that dropped today? It's I'm like, not doing this again. You know, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing. Oh, this is my in. No, 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 no. This is my <laughs> in, Carl. Because you know when 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 Jose drops like a rant, it's like a hot disc record that hits the streets. He you can't keep getting away with this. He, he, he should do them on Funk Flex, you know? Play Ether over top. <laughs> but he came out, he was like, Drogba, erroneous fact, played for me for four years, scored 186 goals. I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> I'm like, is, is, is Mourinho going to see now? Like, 186 goals. Do you know how? And then he, he even had the average, which he's like an average of 40-something goals. I was like, nah, come on. But basically, the point was he was called out, I guess, by Paul Merson for doing something or maybe slowing down Harry Kane's development or his potential or whatever the case may be. Um, so, Drogba, uh, sorry, so Mourinho went on his little rant of all the strikers he's had. So, Drogba, Ronaldo, Benzema, Melito. He gave an average of Melito, even though he only had him for one season. <laughs> okay. And then he had Zlatan. So he's basically like, look, Kane's going to be all right. 
So my in here is, what did you guys think of Harry Kane coming back in his first match um, in six months? And what was your overall impression of kind of like the first big match of the Premier League return? Harry Kane had no touches in the penalty area. Damn. That's what I think about Harry Kane's return. He had no touches in the opposition penalty area, and he only had one shot on goal, and that was a free kick. I've been saying quite quietly, Harry Kane hasn't been Harry Kane since he got injured against Manchester City. I'm going to say it louder. Harry Kane isn't been the Harry Kane we've been used to or the Harry Kane that looked like a world beater or, you know, looked like one of the top 10 strikers in the world. He hasn't looked like that since that ankle injury in 2018 against City that he rushed himself back for to play in the Champions League final. And uh, he's not quite smoking Morris. He can still get a good shot, shot away, but the a bit of the athleticism is gone. And uh, he looks ordinary. Everyone looked ordinary. That was a game that very much, you know, you sort of saw a half-fit Manchester United against a half-fit Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and you got, you know, the best players on that pitch were basically Bruno Fernandes, who was playing that high-risk, high-reward, high-turnover style of midfielder. And then Paul Pogba came on in like 15 minutes, reminding everyone, oh, wait, he's levels. He's, he's levels above most football players in the Premier League. Is it League. a pass that he did to Rashford? It yep. was like on like a half volley type. I was like, yo, this guy, He ha we haven't been playing in, we, I say like I'm playing. They haven't played in months and he's just able to do it in a game. Like, it's ridiculous. Pogba's um, always been able to do that and that's, that's never been in question. Paul Pogba's ability to see and sense a pass and bend the ball like he's got the moon gravity cheat from Tony Hawk. That's never been in question. I think there have been wider <laughs> questions. There have been wider questions about about I say twenty. There have been wider questions about Paul Pogba's um, defensive output. Mm -hmm. How he doesn't really seem that bothered um, when the ball goes the other way, and how he's got a very particular style of fouling where he sort of tries to, um, like he tries to like stretch one leg over the ball and block it out. Uh, and he frequently gets yellow cards doing it. It's why he got his. It's why he got his uh, red card against PSG in the first leg, and why he missed the second leg. Because he keeps trying. He's got a very particular way he tries to shield the ball that just gets him so many fouls, gives away so many fouls. That's that's the thing about Paul Pogba. Like, we know how good Paul Pogba is, and obviously those are questions of Paul Pogba may have to play his way back into the Manchester United side. I think that got put to bed with how much better he was than everyone on the pitch in his, in his you know little. Uh, What's Cameo. the alternative, Fred? Well, like, the thing is, so the thing is, Fred, Fred, and Scott McTominay are not the brightest. No, no, brightest uh, creative midfield pattern <laughs> going forward, right? So Fred, Fred's renaissance is very much been I win the ball, so he gets something around about ten uh, ball recoveries per game. So he wins the ball and he gives it to someone else. And Scott McTominay or, like brings a lot of energy, and he's got he's adding some direct passing and some uh, like running with the ball, but also he's not. He's not as good at the things he's good at as Paul Pogba. But also Scott McTominay might be, you know, interesting as a sort of point in other areas and shower everyone Jordan Henderson style person. This mm. is the thing. Eventually one of Fred or Scott McTominay will have to make way for Paul Pogba. And it might be Fred. Double H, what are your thoughts on Bergwijn? Um, Am I pronouncing that correctly? Bergwijn? Bergwijn? You you were correct on the first time. Stevie, Stevie, I call him Stevie. He's Steven. Um, Bergwijn gets the opening goal Bergwijn. for Tom. He got, he got the opening goal. That that goal should not have gotten in. That's a proper... We need to start us having a very serious conversation about David De Gea. Uncle Paul was on this podcast months ago, and he said uh, David De Gea was actively throwing the ball in the back of the net near the end of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's <laughs> last season. Like, we, we can... 
we've we've said a lot of statistic things on this podcast. You know, the one I like to talk about is United should have finished fifth in Mourinho's second season, but De Gea just basically was a goalkeeping legend. Um, and clearly, what happened was after he, that season where he was unreal, he just lost it somewhere is in he the January. Drunk? Like he's done so much amazing things or so many amazing things that it's just like you can't really expect that from him anymore. I think it's that. I also think what's happening now is um, it's a bit like poker where someone figures out your tell. And, you know, the great thing about the hair, you know, the last time Tottenham played, the last time United played away at Tottenham was at Wembley and De Gea made something like 14 saves. And the majority of those saves were made via his feet. He does this long barrier technique where he sort of spreads his arms out. But the main thing is the way he can like shove his leg left or right and get the block on. And I think what's happened now is most people in the league have gone, if you can shoot before he can run in front of you and get his legs ready to do that, he's going to flap at his hands. Shoot for his hands and shoot before he can get his feet sorted out and you're going to have a chance of getting it in. And that's that's what's happening. He's conceding a lot of goal shots from um, outside the box because it's before he can do the technique that makes him really, really good. And this happens to a lot of goalkeepers. You know, you want to talk about Joe Hart. Joe Hart has just now been announced, this weekend got announced, as he's not going to get his contract extended at Burnley. Um, what, five years ago, Joe Hart, people were saying Joe Hart was top three goalkeeper in the world. They were wrong. They were very wrong. Um, but the thing the world. Dropped, nah, yeah, people, I remember... Maybe the league, not yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, people were saying some... English waiting and whatnot, but people were saying some very strong things about Joe Hart being a good goalkeeper. Um, but Joe Hart had a weakness. He could not... Um, you could not save shots that were down low to his left. And and now and now it's known. And that's why now he's not doing so well in the, the Premier League. Back to Bergwijn, Double H. What are your thoughts? Because I feel like in like in the past few weeks or the past few games that Spurs have played, put it that way, he scored some pretty good goals. So what are your thoughts on him as a player, if you have any? Um like Bergwijn is a good impact player um and basically he's a kind of player that is good on the counter attack so he's not the kind of player who okay given the ball and with the ball at his feet he's going to make something happen so i think that if you have the right kind of system hmm. he's a good addition to that system you know which is why i could see how ronald kuman could use him very well I was going to get there. I was going to get there because I was going to let you jump into your international bag <laughs> and tell me what do you think he can do for Holland or the Netherlands to be Yes, yes. So basically, so you see, the thing with Tottenham is he will, he can be helpful for Mourinho because Mourinho is all about, is all about okay, get the ball quickly to these individuals, quickly make an impact rather than dilly dallying on, on, on the ball. But you look at, Kuman's system, which is pretty much led and everything goes through Memphis Depay, you know, I can see Bergvine in that system. Maybe he will look a lot better under Kuman than under Mourinho because I think Bergvine with Frankie de Jong, with Depay, with... Um, wait, who am, I, who am I missing again in the attack? I mean, wait, who do Holland have again? Sorry, yeah, Vinaldo. With those guys, you can maybe see him look a lot better. So I think basically Bergwijn, he's like a utility player. So he's in the guy where, oh my gosh, give the ball to Bergwijn and he'll, he'll do something. But he's a good guy where like, okay, we've, we have everything good, but he is a good addition, outlet 
into the attack. So everything can be on him, but he's, which is why he will be far more useful for Holland than he is for Tottenham because for, for Tottenham, it's as if, oh, this is like the main attacking guy now, really, you know. But for Holland, it's like where you've got Vinaldum, who's a very good attacking midfielder. You've got Depay, who is the brains behind the whole team. And then you have Bergman, who is the more impact explosive player. You did so, not just say Memphis Depay is the brains behind the whole Dutch team. <laughs> and then called jo- and then called Jono one out of them. The, uh, what? That is a that is a strange reading of the Dutch national team. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so how is Depay not the brains behind Holland? So I who think I, I think double H means he's pulling the strings in attack. Yeah. More than like, yo, know, he's telling somebody to go left or right. He's just like, yo, he has the ball, he decides who gets it. And I feel like that's more an accurate. I've been spoken half hope in a in a week now, so every now and again I've got excuse me. Quincy Prohms is a good shout. The people in the comments. He plays as well. Oh yeah, Quincy no, no, very good player. Very good player. But um, um, yeah, yeah, no, no, like which is why, which is what, which is what is going to make. Obviously, I don't want to veer off too much. Which is what will make the Juve Leon game very interesting in August, um, because Depay is back. Um, but yeah, like Depay is the guy that really is the orchestrator in that attack. Everyone else just has a specific role, but Depay is the guy where okay, I can either shoot, I can either pass, I can either create, I can either do a through ball in that kind of number ten free role that he has. So. All right, guys. We have to have this discussion. I don't want to have this discussion because we've had this discussion 10,000 times, but we're going to have it again. <sighs> Arsenal. <laughs> have hope. Take it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, man. I mean, you have to. Brighton, you know. <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this. This is what I'll say. I have watched that Thai interview. I've watched it about since I. And the thing about Thai interview is this: you're a cheat. You're a cheat. (laughs) I hope brought in there. Relegate. (laughs) No, but see, my thing about extinction. (laughs) No, no, no. The thing about it is that, as funny as that is. The sad reality is Arsenal fans are now complaining about a Brighton player called Mope. That's how Mope. bad things are to. So from battling to for the Premier League, winning doubles, FA Cup, to now Mope is now like an, an like an arch rival for you guys. He's now a guy that's you know a guy from Brighton. That's bad. Put it very simply, because this whole Arsenal thing is is it's a huge topic, but Put very simply, Ateta was the wrong hire. They shouldn't have, have gone for Ateta. They should have gone for a much more experienced manager. Um, and one thing that is interesting is Stan, is Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke is merely a businessman. Because, and I, I don't know how, what, what, what you guys think of this. I compare Stan Kroenke to Abramovich. Where is that? Abramovich loves football. He really loves for, for football. So he loves this, his Chelsea project, because he loves football. Kroenke doesn't love for football. He's a businessman. This is just, he's, he's a casual sports fan. So when you're a casual sports fan, and I think maybe I wanna, that's why I want to hear what you think about this, Daniel, is, so he owns, is it the Rams? He owned, he, well, they were formerly the St. Louis Rams. Then he moved them to Los Angeles. 
much to the chagrin of people in Missouri. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he yeah. also owns the Denver Nuggets or his company, like the Cronky Sports Group, whatever it is. Okay, so they, is. I feel like they own a significant portion, right. or perhaps the entirety of the Nuggets. Okay, so he owns two teams in America. Three. So see, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, two, in, two in, America, in America, yeah. there's no re relegation, and the psychology of the American sports fan. Knowing that there's no relegation, they're just all these franchises only in one league is very different from the European sports fan where there is a relegation and also something they, 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 they care a lot more about where they finish because the culture and the psychology of the European sports fan is very different from the American sports fan. Mm -hmm. So what's crunky? Because the rich man is so detached from what the guys are thinking about and so forth. For crunky, he's like, as long as we're making money, who gives a damn if we finish tenth or eleventh? Who cares? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 You've got a, you've got a thing here. You, obviously, even even if you are that cynical, Arsenal make more money the higher they're up the table, and Arsenal make more money when they're in Champions League than the Europa League. You, the 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 thing with Kroenke, I think, is, is he bought a golden goose. Wenger was getting top four with Shamak and. All these, all these. I mean, I guess Double H will call them roadmen. Just like all these waste players. No disrespect to those guys because they're far better footballers than me. But relative to, you know, the top players, Wenger was out here working miracles. You know, Arshavin and all these guys, like just getting top four. So, Crunky would he bought a team and he had a coach that was able to do what he needed to do in order to get Champions League football. Even this, though they, this even though they, is a. Similar. Even though that they would hold it, hold it, hold, hold your point, Carl, just so I can finish my sentence. He had a team that was getting, you know, round of 16, even though they would be eliminated in the round of 16, they were always making the Champions League. So now when they act, so when Wenger fades and he comes to the end of his tenure and these people now actually have to make decisions, like who do we hire? It's the reason by, why they didn't get rid of Wenger in the first place, because I don't think they knew who to get because they just bought a club that just worked. In terms of the money making aspect, or just the Champions League make qualifying aspect, but now when they actually have to make the hard decisions, do we sack him? Who do we get? They went for Emery. They they're going for Arteta. I think on this podcast many times we said, "Yo, if you have a team and it's struggling, the traditional thing to do is if you have an offensive manager like Ovenga, you go defensive." You have to change something in the team. They went for Emery, who's neither this nor that, and then now, and then again, they're going for Arteta, who we think is going to be a kind of Pep style, let's play fancy football kind of guy. What oh, they need, oh, they, oh, they, oh, they, oh, they, they need a Benitez. They need like somebody that has a bit of steel. That's a deviation from what's been there already. Because you can look seventy million on Pepe. You couldn't put that money into a defender, into a center back. You're you're out here in the first game. You're playing David Luiz and. Mustafi, come on, man! Like just these little things. It's just signs of a club that's poorly run. So, Carl, go ahead. No, and then by the time you landed, we were pretty much the same thing. I was going to say there are similarities to what happened at Manchester United with the Glazers after you know, Ferguson left, and this is what happens. This is what happens when you leave. When you know your legacy manager leaves, you you get into this sort of institutional chaos because you realize that the person who was in charge, be it Wenger or Ferguson, or Sorry, to a much lesser extent, David Moyes at Everton, when they go, because they were in charge and had such oversight over so many things, 
you've got to hire three or four people to replace them at a time where everyone in the league is getting better and smarter and more intelligent on the footballing side and on the business side. You've got to do that as well. The thing about Arsenal was um, they knew Arteta was their person, but they didn't want... It's like you said, Daniel, they should have either got Arteta immediately afterwards to replace Wenger, or they should have got this proven winner. I think we've done this podcast before saying they should have got someone who's won a league title like Allegri. What they did was they got store brand Allegri, Allegri in Emery, who was like, on one half, someone like talking about tactics, and on one half was a sort of proven winner, but not a proven winner, good enough for Arsenal. It didn't work out. Uh, and I don't think anyone at Arsenal expected Emery Emery's second season to go as badly as the way it did. But the first season, okay, fine. Qualified success. They probably should have, you know, that away record was their undoing and why they didn't end up in the top four. Top four was there. And then he put all these eggs in the Europa League basket only for Chelsea to absolutely batter them, <laughs> which I still find hilarious. Chelsea beat them 4-0 in a game that they didn't need to win to get in the Champions League. They just did it because they wanted to do it. And that was the gap between the two clubs. And then they, you know, they didn't quite back. Well, I don't, I don't know if they didn't quite back Emery, but you do get these weird things. Arsenal, like who is making the decisions there? If you look at, well, I don't want to say this exactly what happened, but there's a lot of talk now that David Luiz went to Arsenal because he's a client, a Kia Jobberton, and Arsenal want other Kia Jobberton clients. And you're thinking, at what point is Arsenal a team in the traditional top six and the traditional top four? You know, willing to accept an agents one one of an agent's weaker players, so maybe you can get one of the agent's bigger players down the line. That's not good businessing sense, even if you're Everton. Let alone mild disrespect to Everton, let alone Arsenal. So uh, the thing about Arteta is obviously there's all this oh Arteta's quiet revolution and how he's going to improve the side, and he has like they 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 don't lose as much as they did on Emery. And there seems to be a clearer plan of what they want to do. It's also being executed by players that Arteta just doesn't seem that bothered with. There are loads of question marks over certain players, like what's going to go on with Arba's contract? Is Lacazette up for sale? The Meza Ozil conundrum as well. Um, this David Luiz thing. There, like, there are problems from late-stage Wenger that are, you know, the wheels from late-stage Wenger are now massive forests of just mess at Arsenal. And I think maybe now we need to start having some serious conversations about our Arsenal. You know, we talk about the top six. I, you know, we joked about this earlier about how there's not a top six, it's a top five plus Arsenal. And then I said, actually, it's a top five plus United. And then I said, actually, it's a top four. And now you're seeing websites use the term traditional top six or traditional top four. Because while we want to pretend Arsenal's a big club, they're not a big club anymore. They're not levels no more. They haven't won a Premier League in a good long t- chunk of time now and it's what well, is now going to be their third season without the Champions League we should start seriously discussing Arsenal as being a Europa League standard club <laughs> and that's weird for me to say and it doesn't yeah, bring a great yeah. joy to say but right, if it, if this was any other club if this was any if this, if this was a club and I sort of just removed the name and I removed the colour and I just gave you all the stats I mean this team has won this many games and this was their points total this season and this is their points total last season and they've lost to these clubs and they, and their record away from home against other top, against the top six is like this you would say that's a Europa League standard club you would not it's tell like, me that club it's almost as, like as you... dreams of being in Champions League like that club at best can finish sixth you know the the blind resume thing. There's no way you'd pick out that's Arsenal if you just drop somebody that lived in, I don't know, 2006 or seven 
and you just warp them into 2020. And you're like, pick Arsenal from these resumes. There's no way they'd pick the 10th place team in the Premier League, would they? It just the levels have just they've fallen so much. Now somebody said the Pepe slander is a bit unfair. I'm not criticizing Pepe himself. I'm criticizing the priority. It's not like they spent 70 at once. I'm pretty sure it's in installments. But the idea that you spend 70 million pounds on a winger when what you really need is defensive solidity, whether that be in a center back or a defensive midfielder, that should be where that, those funds go. Pepe's not a bad player. I wouldn't say that you know he's had a horrible, shocking season. I mean, he hasn't been worth the money that's there, but we always say you can't pay back a, a, a total like that in one season anyway, so we'll see where it goes. But A, B, C, D should be defender, defender, central defensive midfielder. Then maybe you get into you know, a winger or maybe a goalkeeper, but Leno's had a good season, whatever the case um, but this this is this is the difficult thing for Arsenal, where if Arsenal Arsenal want to be back in the Champions League, right, and they and they clearly want to go shopping for a certain kind of player, but they can't do that anymore because they're in the Europa League, and uh, and that, that means you know if you've got expensive tastes and you've got expensive dreams, but you have to start shopping frugally right now, that delays the process unless you land that transform transformative talent or you land that transformative manager or do something. And what we've got now is clearly that hasn't happened. Like Pepe, it's kind of harsh to rank Pepe in, in this way, but for some, I, mean, I know the transfer market makes no sense, but for 72 million, you're expecting someone who comes in and the next day is one of the best players in your team and can turn draws into wins and can turn losses into draws and can and have that impact. And Pepe hasn't done that, which is fine because, you know, Arsenal aren't shopping in that transformative talent market anymore, but it looked as if it did. And that's that's the real problem. Yeah. You know, Manchester United can just about get away with having Daniel James in their team, even though he can't really beat players outside of his pace because they've got Paul Pogba, they've got Bruno Fernandes, they've got uh, Anthony Martial, they've got Marcus Rashford, they've got players who are genuinely of Champions League talent. Arsenal can't really get away with having Nicolas Pepe play at Europa League level because... What players in the Arsenal first team aren't playing at Europa League level right now? I, like at the moment, it's Burnt Leno, not Oba, and that's it. Maybe Who? Martinelli seems like he could be an interesting young player. But and this is the thing: interesting, interesting is interesting is for the future or whatever. Mm. Which again makes this longer because you know we were talking about traditional top top six. Leicester City are there now. Leicester City are going to finish this season in the Champions League places. So Leicester City are going to have an extra forty to sixty million possibly to spend. And they've got players there. That they've got players that are already better than Arsenal's current first team, who are going to get better. Like Yuri Tielemans is the sort of player Arsenal used to get, right? They'd get Yuri Tielemans on loan. They get him for twenty-seven million, and they're like, "Sweet, all right, cool. This kid's going to be with us for four or five years, and then maybe Real Madrid or Barcelona will come get him." But even then, we'll be in the top four places. Or, or like the the things Arsenal used to be good at, other teams are getting better than they're doing. Leicester are way better doing the Arsenal things than Arsenal are. Spurs, even though Spurs are having it like a historically, I say historically, they've only been good for a couple of years. Spurs are in an absolute mud. They're still above Arsenal right now. Uh, and this is the thing, like the gap between Arsenal and the classic top four or like that in Champions spaces is going to get bigger and bigger because other teams are, are going to keep being in the Champions League and keep getting the Champions League money. Whereas Arsenal don't seem to be at that level anymore. Did you guys see Kelechi? Did you guys watch that interview? <laughs> Double H, they broke him. 
<laughs> he did he did his he did his interview on the floor, man. I, I felt bad because I rem I remember like you always used to uh, you know when whenever you guys talk about uh or when you talk about Nigeria, you'll be like, you know, people like me, I give it real. And then if you want kind of optimism and hope, go to people like Kelichi. Cause that's just kind of his nature, you know. He's like an optimistic. He'll give you the, you know, the better side of the coin, if that's if I can make up a saying. But like, yo, to see him kind of like distraught, he's like, I'm tired. I am very, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just like Jesus, man. <laughs> why, why must Arsenal do that to this man, man? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even click and and watch it because. Look, again, I said, like, I'm not here to be, like, against Kelechi or anything like that, you know, but just that <laughs> I understand what's... He, I understand what he's trying to do, and it's like, it's all cool. So that's all I'm going to say. I understand what he's trying to do and what he's trying to create, so that's all cool. You <laughs> know, that's all I'll say. But, yeah, like, for me, no, like, I told you, Ty, that's the one, because the thing with Ty is that that's real. Ty is real. You see, with some of the... You see, people like Ty, like Claude, a lot of them, that's them. But for, for some of the other guys, I'm like, okay, is it real or are you just sort of maybe playing up your character that people have known you for? So then I'm like thinking that, okay, this is a mixture of real and okay, I, I want to sort of play up the kind of um, archetype that's that that's that's I've been known for for these years. But Ty, and also I, you know, I saw Ty on the on the street one time, um, and I, I don't know for some reason I didn't want to go up because I thought, oh wait, is that really Ty? But yeah, Ty is real, so I find Ty fascinating. He's like a fascinating case study of the fan of no matter what, you will always try and find something to defend your team. You will never, ever be like, you know what, these guys are crap. Because for me, which is why, again, if you want to tie back to the whole Kelechi thing, with Nigeria, I'm like, oh, no, if they're crap, oh, you, you, you guys are crap. So I'm not one of those guys who are like, oh, no, it's Nigeria, and I must always defend them. No, you're, you're crap. Which is why I always think that it is, and I think this is what Steve, Stephen A. Smith said, don't befriend any sports people if you're analyzing sports because you will be compromised. Because if you now befriend them and get close to them, you can never be fully truthful and real. So you have to make a choice. Either you, you befriend them and you're giving a kind of um, softened analysis where like, well, you know, you know, he was not too bad and everything. So you can still keep that link, which is also very good. Or you're like, oh, this guy's completely not a crap. But you're not gonna um, um, jeopardize any kind of relationships. But what that means is that it's now a very honest, brutal take, which I think is needed in anything beyond sports or anything. So I think it depends on the athlete in some ways because I know Stephen A was quite critical of Allen Iverson at times, but 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 but, but they're still considered excellent point. Brothers, it depends on the athlete. Know. It depends. Let's, on get, yeah. let's circle back to Premier League football rather than perceptions of how you work as a informed journalist, because that's a podcast we can do another day when there's no football. Um there's loads of football. Let's do that. Well no, I was done. I wasn't gonna continue it. Um <laughs> so where do I want to go next? <sighs> okay. Conte is playing in the position everyone thought he used to play in, but never did. And now they're congratulating him as if he's done a new thing because he has done a new thing. And I'm quite confused. I don't even know if you guys follow me on this. But Conte played in a holding position against uh, Villa yesterday. 
And this is a role that everybody said, yo, Conte needs to be a DM. Put him in his, quote, natural position, unquote. So now Lampard puts him in his would-be natural position. And now everybody's seeing that, yo, he never used to play like this before. And I'm, I don't know if I'm proud of people or angry at people that they didn't notice. I guess you guys don't care about this. I care about this. <laughs> no, 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 wait, no, 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 no. Sorry, I just, I'll just um, add to click something. No, 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 no it's fine. No, it's fine. No, I mean, we, wait, wait, I, I just, I, I just need no, to get that off my chest. If you guys, there's no need for a combo if you don't want it. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Cancel. Let me just say something real quick about cancel because. I need because I need to keep on reiterating this. Don't ever disrespect one of the most arguably one of the most valuable football players on this planet we call the Earth. That is green and blue. Don't. Wait, wait, wait. What? It's green and blue. Don't. Don't ever do that. The multitude of skills that this guy has. Do you want DM? Sure. Do you want holding? Sure. Do you want box to box? Sure. Do you want um, someone to square goals? Sure. Do you want someone to intercept? He can do everything. He was doing Jorginho's job just as well as Jorginho. Spread the ball out. Give the ball. One, two. Give and go. One, two. For the other. Into, into space. This dude, like, this dude can do everything because what's Annoyed me was I will I will hear I was you see people try trying to get funny. People were trying to suggest that this can't say is it really that's good, really, you know, because <laughs> they point back to how he's he slipped that allowed Martinelli to score against Arsenal. You know, maybe we should swap him for something. I'm like, you dirty scoundrels. <laughs> this dude is once you have a cancer, he is invaluable. There is no amount of money, no amount of money I'll accept. For for a cancer, so it's the idea that people in that role want you to have quote a brain because that's now the hub of the team. This is the person collecting the ball from the center backs, and he's the person who's initiating the offense or just the attack. We'll put it that way. So people look at Kante, and this is just my own theory or not even a theory, but just my own assumption. People look at Kante and they assume, I don't want a player like that initiating that phase of play. So I think Sari probably had that idea in his mind, and he was like, you know what? You bring me, you have to bring Jorginho, because this is the person that I want in that area. I've always been of the contention that if you played Kante for two months in that role, of course there's going to be a few growing pains here and there. He might misplace a pass. He might slip like he did against Arsenal. But if you play him there for consistently for two months, he will be able to adapt to any role that you put him in. And if you look at the injury situation that he's been having, that's a consequence of running around, being an interceptor, and breaking up play for since what? Probably his whole career, but in the spotlight since 2014. So 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and then entering 2019, no real injuries here or there. But then in 2019, he gets an injury. They play him in the Europa League final when maybe they shouldn't have. Um, and then this this year um, and the back end of last year, there's just been constant injury after constant injury, muscle injuries, groin injuries, this and that. 
He's 29. It's a consequence of you can't keep playing like you're playing and expect to have a long career. So my my thing was, you guys have all, people have always been saying he's he's a new Makalele. He he never played like Makalele, but he's five foot seven. He's black and he's French. So he's the new Makalele in people's <laughs> mind. Morons, right? morons. But now is the time for him to transition into that role because you can't keep playing like you're playing because the injuries are just too much. So my contention is play him there for however many games that you need to, and he'll adapt to the role. And it's good to see that, you know, this is it was a good first step for me. I don't know because obviously I think Jorginho was suspended, so he'll probably just come right back in. But the idea is I'd like seeing Kante there because what I trust him to know where to play the ball. I trust him to find the space to collect the ball. Obviously, Aston Villa weren't as intense with their pressure. So I'd like to see him against Man City. Let's see what happens. Um, but, you know, I d- I've always said that the people who say play Conte in their natural in his natural position, quote unquote, they'll be they'll end up being right, but not because they were right at first, just be- as a consequence of time. Anyway, Carl, where do you think Jack Grealish should go? It, that's a hard one, right? So Jack Grealish is very clearly uh, very talented. I think he's better than James Madison. I think he's really, really good at picking up the ball and left half space and driving in and making passes. There's obviously all these links to Manchester United, and I, I just don't see it at Manchester United. I don't see Wade play. Um, I don't I don't see Wade fitting at Manchester United. I think Manchester United very much want Jaden Sancho, and I think Sancho would be better on, than Grealish on the right-hand side. Um, and, and sort of Tottenham are really well-stocked in those front three areas. Uh, any team that J- Jack Grealish goes to in the Premier League, he will improve. Um, I just don't quite see the natural fit for him in terms of clubs hot, like in the Champions League places right now. But that is, again, due to my own particular, uh, the way I like to watch football. Can I make the case I think, we've I think already really talked good, about a think... club that he would be good at? Chelsea. Arsenal. You know, like Arsenal can't afford him. You think? Like, honestly, honestly, and truly, Arsenal cannot afford him. He seems Arsenal like a type of midfielder that they he, like. He's, he, he he seems like what they think Jack Wilshere was. He'd, he'd cost somewhere between, I mean, in this market, I say in this market, I'd say in, in a market where COVID hasn't happened, Jack Grealish was going to go for around about 60 to 100 million. What? Yeah. Like English tax. You can say English tax or whatever. He was gonna cost. He was gonna cost at least sixty plus million. I don't. Know, how much did you think he was going to be available for? Forty. Nope. He's Jack Grealish is going to do whatever it takes to try and keep Aston Villa off, up, and then he'll probably leave, and he'll probably leave to a club that is either playing in the Champions League or has aspirations of playing in the Champions League. Um, and the big one was he was going to go to Manchester United, and it was going to cost around about sixty million. And I saw some numbers being quoted as high as one hundred and twenty million. Um, that's but I, but I, I said I saw numbers quoted as 120 million. I didn't say they were real or not, but I saw yeah, I saw, I mean, I saw those numbers no, in newspapers and whatnot. That idea but, is wild because that's like I, Dembele at Dortmund numbers. Nah, and and Grealish is not even close to the ooze. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> what the heck? But no, I I will say though, watching that game and the amount of times that like. It's either he creates something or helps to create something or nothing. And the amount of times he gets fouled, I'm like, you can't. 
Like it's um, it's sad to watch almost. It's just like this guy's getting fouled and fouled and fouled for the for the cause of Aston Villa. <laughs> I said this it's, after it's the. Not um, cool. It's not cool. I said this after the the Sheffield United nil nil game. So before, so during the last Premier League game that happened before lockdown happened was Villa nil Leicester four. And I said why? And I said this in last week's podcast. Like why do I keep watching Aston Villa? There is nothing towards Aston Villa. I don't understand how they play. I can barely f- describe their manager in a lineup. I don't. I don't see the point in Aston Villa because their entire game plan is give it to Grealish. And Grealish has this weird. Well, he's in this difficult situation where he is their most productive player. He is their best attacker. And well, John McGinn does a lot more of the dirty stuff, so he's got to like drag this team to competency. But also, I've seen games of Jack Grealish where he seems a lot more interested in dribbling from side to side across the penalty area, trying to win a free kick rather than taking the shot. And it's just, oh, fuck. I'm swearing. Sorry. He he can. I think he's a great football player. I also think he can be very frustrating, and he needs a better manager. We've spoken about on this podcast before about. You know, when Fabregas went to Barcelona or when Naju went to Manchester City or when players who were sort of the best, the most creative player on a team that was a mess found it really hard to go to a better team. And the manager's going, you can only operate in this small area because if you move left or right, it creates problems for everyone else. Like Coutinho for Barcelona, for example. Coutinho had a large amount of creative freedom for Liverpool and he goes to Barcelona. And if he drifted into messy space, everyone's going, what the hell are you doing? And I think... I think wherever I think Grealish is going to cost a lot of money. I think I'd say now due to COVID, he's probably going to cost sixty million. Um, and I think wherever he goes, he's probably not going to be the like like in catch fire in the way that we think he is because he's going to have to get used to staying on whatever side of the pitch he wants. Which is one reason I, I don't particularly want him at United because I, I I think him on the right hand side of United again causes problems that unbalance Manchester United. Carl, I just, I had to look this up just for my own edification. Hakim Ziyech costs less than thirty-five million pounds. I don't. I don't know Look, where Chelsea. Chelsea, I don't know. Chelsea I don't know are good. People are coming up with the idea of like seventy million as a tax. There's a forty million English tax. That's wild. There's and somebody has a comment that says a hundred billion for Jack. There's no way anybody ever in the history of football that has the first name Jack should come anywhere near one hundred million. This counts for the 200 <laughs> previous years and the 200 next years. Preach, Nobody named Jack preach, should ever be worth preach, that much money. Preach, preach. Jack, no. <laughs> Zinedine, maybe. Jack, no. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. No, 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 no because look, because I can't live in a football world where a dude called Jack is <laughs> 120, 140 million. That will break. <laughs> Footballing normality, like Please. Gareth. Oh, I I could see a Gareth being worth eighty mil. Okay, Jack. Come on, man. <laughs> Jack. <sighs> All right. No, next I, game. I, I, next I, I, next I, I, next yeah, game that no. happened in the Premier League. I'm trying to run through the Premier League, but you know, a lot of stuff happened. Um, Everton, Liverpool, zero zero. Not that eventful. I guess Rashardson had a few chances. Mohamed Salah didn't play. I think out of the five substitutions Klopp had, three of them were injury related. Um, so that's quite unlucky. Um, they're going to win the league. Liverpool. I don't. I don't. We don't really need to talk about them. I don't think. I, I want to talk about this game because it, it's it's now it's going to go on record as the most watched Premier League game in history. Five and like? a half million. Five and a half million. Yeah. Watched that game. Uh, with the that was the peak. 
Um, the, the key things for Liverpool there, Mo Salah was <laughs> Mo Salah was injured, so didn't play, and you could really see how more sluggish Liverpool looked in terms of getting the ball up and down the pitch vertically without Mo Salah, and also Andy Robinson didn't play as well. Um, and I sort of just yeah, they just uh, everything just went down a notch because two very important players on the left hand side weren't playing, and they were just a bit more. Was Minna, did Minamino? He was the one that started, right? Minamino got his yeah. first start. He looked alright. Apparently, he spent the entire lockdown learning English in a, a part of an intensive course, which I think is great. And I think Minamino is definitely going to be a player for next season. Um, one one thing I'm quite sad about is uh, Naby Keita got a start over Georgie Van Adam, and uh, ne- you know Klopp prefers Van Adam to Keita because. One Adam holds onto the ball better and makes one Adam makes less you know adventurous passes, but he keeps holds onto the ball better than Cater. And the problem is when Cater is still making those adventurous passes and then not coming off, it becomes harder and harder to justify him being on the pitch. So he comes off. Um, I want that Cater to be good. Adam Lallana got five years at Liverpool before you know now he's going to depart, and I think that's going to be a case of maybe the Naby Cater we all thought he was at Leipzig might not come round for a little bit longer, which is sad. Mm. I was watching the game and I really wanted to take a nap. And I was like, if Liverpool score, I'm going to go take a nap. But they never scored. So I just sat there and watched the whole game. It was very boring. The thing for Everton is that they will take that as a good point. And then there's yeah. enough of, of what's going on at Everton right now, which is quite encouraging. This 4 4 2 on that, a lot is going well. I really like Dominic Calvin Lewin. <gasps> I think he's going to be a lot of fun going forward. Um, and. That's good. It's also now the nineteenth time in a row they haven't beaten Liverpool. Damn. The was the la- the last time they beat them was that the Jagielka game? Or was that <laughs> even for a draw? You remember the one where he scored like in the last second at Anfield or something like that? Might have been like 2013, 14, 15, somewhere in there. It's it's too long. It's been too long. Yeah, yeah. And they need and it, and they need to get over that hump because Wait, the, the Premier League is better when Arsenal is doing well. Get over that hump. The, if if Everton want to become the team they want to become, they need to be able to beat Liverpool. Yeah, man, they're hiring Ancelotti. Like you don't hire him and think like, oh, we just won't beat Liverpool today. Like, you know, Double H, man. I'm 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 happy you reminded me, Carl. Not of the name, but just you know, you brought up Calvert Lewin, and that reminded me of somebody. Have hope, man. What's going on with Moise Ken, bro? Are you paying attention to this? He came on for like t- literally, and I'm not, I hate the word literally. He came on for, I swear, it was probably 12 seconds. Why even play? Why even bring him on? Because do you remember when he signed and, you know, they gave his mom a shirt and talking about, you know, we're going to take care of your boy. He's in a good place now. Woo woo. Da da da. 10 seconds. I thought Juventus was a problem, but it's Everton are just as bad. A young player can only improve if he plays. Now, this is coming from the fact that we don't know what is happening behind the scenes at Everton. Only people within Everton know, only Ancelotti knows, only the coaches know, only Moise Kane knows. So it doesn't matter what any newspapers or any media people say, we don't know what may really be happening that they have not yet revealed. Just from what we do know is... This is, I think, could potentially be a talented striker because that dude I saw for Juventus going that scoring run could potentially be a talented striker. But we will never know how good he can be if you don't give him a good run of games. And he just hasn't had a clean run run of games. So if um, Mr. King's agents or so forth, it's clear demands. Either you guarantee me first team football or I am putting myself 
on the on the transfer market. And trust me, there are teams out there that are clearly looking for a striker because I'm sure that he moved initially because it's like, look, it's Juventus. You're not going to get ahead of Higain or I think Manzukic was there at that time. So you're going to make that move. But the fact that you're not going to be getting any starting spots or so forth is like, boom, I'm out. Same thing with Origi, who is a very good finisher. If you're not going to be guaranteed first team four ball, move, move. So, 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 it, so I don't know where, where his mind is at, but that is an ultimate you have, you have to give of like, no, if you're not going to play me, I'm out. Put me on the transfer list. And trust me, if I'm not transfer listed or I'm, I make it known that I want to leave, man, they'll be close out there. Like, oh, yeah, I think we, we do need a striker that's, and if we can just maybe get lucky and spend a bit of money and this could actually be a struggle could actually be really good for us. Oh, let's go in for it. So he has to, this, he has to have a conversation with Ancelotti to be like, no, 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 I need to know where I stand because if you don't, you're just going to be brought up for like, because I thought of it the same way. I was like, oh my gosh, wait, this is like 20 seconds. So they're literally using him to waste time, <laughs> you know? So yeah. So call in less than like in one sentence, Okay. If if Keane wanted to leave Everton and it wasn't on loan, like he just wanted a clean break, do you think there's a club out there that we that would be willing to pay Everton close to the forty million that they invested in him? Um no, no, no. That, okay. like if 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 Moise Keane wanted to go, he'd go because who is his agent? I'm not sure. Is it Mendes? It's, it's Mr. Iola. Um, uh, <laughs> it's Mr. Iola. If, if he wanted to go, he'd go. Uh, and I, it wasn't 40 million. It was 28 million. Was it? I thought it was 40. 28, 28 million. 28 million pounds. I, I still don't... I, I still think he should have stayed at Juventus, but I understand why Juventus let, let him go because he was their sort of cheapest, easiest to flip asset. Uh, um, okay. Moise King will come good eventually, but yeah, he cost 28 million. Um, he it's a hard time to adjust. Obviously, he, he recently had to apologize, um, and and did a, re- a really good apology, really. And so sort of the way Everton are looking after him has been quite heartening. Um, apart from the the substitute substitute incident, but it's been quite heartening. He broke lockdown, and uh, Moise Keane basically said, you know, sorry, I broke lockdown. I'm not quite clear how lockdown is in England compared to Italy, which is one of those excuses that. I don't know if it quite washes, but the way Everton went, look, okay, it's your first year in a brand new country. You don't really speak English. Um, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt and we're going to look after you regardless has been quite good. I think Everton's probably the best place for him to be socially right now, if not like in terms of weather and food. Um, and he'll come good. Um, <sighs> okay, guys. No, I, I, I trust Angela to look after Moise Keane then pretty much any other manager. Make it quick, employed. Double H. Okay, real quick, because I'm just looking at guys' comments on this whole Origi thing. Quick question. I maybe I don't know whether Danny remember Tori Andre Flo. Yes. Do you remember Tori Andre Flo? Yes, yes. Super sub. Yeah. So if you're a very effective super sub, is that a role that you should take pride in? Or if you're a super sub, who's effective as a super sub, should you be looking for a starting spot at another club. It's, again, it's hard to talk about substitutes right now. We're playing behind closed doors when everyone's half fit and the five extra substitutes. <laughs> You've also been on this podcast. I remember you once saying Tori Andrefo is the greatest super sub ever, and then I got out Wikipedia to prove you wrong. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is the greatest super sub of all time? 
it, you know, your, your, your mileage may vary. Also, you've got to bear in mind that the great super sub eventually just goes to be a good player somewhere else. Like, there's, a, there's, a very, there's a very good argument to lead that Edwin Dzeko is probably one of the best super subs the Premier League has ever seen. I'm skewed on this. I'm thinking like Chicharito, but that's because he always scored against Chelsea. And for some reason, I feel like he was a substitute most of those times. But I know that's not the correct answer. All right, guys. I don't even... Man City 1-5-0. Yay. You know. Oh, did Lord. You, did you guys see the banner? Yeah. Yeah. So someone, a Burnley fan, threw a, a, a banner that said White Lives Matter. Burnley. Over <laughs> the Stadium. Why are these... Th- one, why are the banners never grammatically correct? Like, what does that mean? Like, was it White Lives Matter? <laughs> and then is there supposed to be like a period? And then Burnley as in like, go Burnley, yay Burnley? Or is it... White I, I thought about matter this. in Burnley. Like, I'm confused by that. Just the wording. Oh, I thought about this. I thought about stuff. There's been a lot of. I'm not gonna confirm or whatnot, but I've been told a lot about on social media from people who may have arranged it and and the possible history of the person who 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 spent the best part of 600 pounds to get this done. What? Um. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. To to f- get a plane to fly over a football stadium. Cost the best part of six hundred pound. This is the thing, right? And, and this is the thing. My brain is going like this: this, this. Someone took time out of their day, their week, in the middle of a pandemic, to to call someone to hire uh, a plane to say <laughs> what those matter. Um, Burnley, to their credit, were quick. Like before the game had even ended, Burnley had issued a statement saying um, we absolutely disagree with this and we support Black Lives Matter. And whoever did this is does not is not in keeping with Burnley's. Um, values which i thought was good uh ben me the captain of burnley has just been on did his post-match interview and basically went i'll get the quote up for you uh ben me said we can talk about football a lot but there's something i want to talk about i'm ashamed i'm embarrassed a small group of our fans have put that around the stadium and that's that's bernie's captain um i've heard a little bit around uh conjecture that the gentleman who arranged this thing has had uh, has doesn't think Tony Tommy Robinson is a terrible human being or a racist. Um, so that's interesting. So there's that. I mean, this is hard, right? You know, Tommy Robinson says the racism is a distraction. And I'm like, what I don't want to do right now is I want to be a football journalist. Whereas what I'm getting right now is on a weekly basis, I'm having to re- explain Black Lives Matter, explain what black guys matter is and how it's not certain things um so i had a really i i basically had a mental health day at work on thursday because mm-hmm. someone found my personal email address uh, and decided to tell me that my support of black guys matter is making the is making the situation worse um uh some they used the term they said i was a grievance hustler uh and, and a black lives matter was a neo-marxist organization that wants to bring about the end of capitalism which are just going, where, where are you getting this information from? Where, why do you think this is happening? And I said this before about how people, you know, broadcasters need to get better ex- at explaining what Black Lives Matter is, which we are, ish. So Ian Wright gave a really, really good monologue during Burnley versus Crystal Palace explaining Black Lives Matter and explaining police brutality and explaining how, you know, to the football fan, I think, but that's America. And then he gave names of black people that have uh, suffered at the hands of police brutality in police, in police custody in the United Kingdom and he did similar stories for Canada and he did similar stories for, for France and he's doing that. But there are also other broadcasters that just don't seem to understand what's going on. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing you know, Mika Richards did that it's not white versus black, it's racist versus everyone which is one of those cosy statements that doesn't mean anything. Um, 
no disrespect to Mika Richards. He's, he's got better in the subsequent broadcasts. And I've heard BT Sport go, we're all in this together. I'm like, well, not really. That doesn't really quite align with my political beliefs, which is the thing where black people, the police are killing black people at disproportionate rates. The police need to stop doing that. That should not be a politically, that should not be a politically charged statement. And that should be something everyone understands, but they don't. And I'd like more people to explain that during the broadcast on why the players are doing this. And it's getting better on a game by game basis. But there's clearly a section of people that prefer to not understand what Black Lives Matter is and wants to fly about and says White Lives Matter. So I'm talking to you right now. It's just turned midnight on a Tuesday. And I know some part of my conversation tomorrow at work is going to be involved in what do we do out of this? And that's the thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do that. And last week I wrote about racism in football. And the week before that I wrote about racism in football. The week before that I wrote about racism in football. And this is going to be what will happen in my job. Or, you know, if I'm not writing about it, I will be asked to, to contribute this, contribute to the discussion in some way until, what, till I die, basically. I'm not going to live to see the end of white supremacy. I'm not. So, Come on. To our retire, I'm still going to be called <laughs> up to do stuff, right? right? And this is the thing. The thing I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I tweeted about this, is that Bill Russell, you know, Bill Russell, the wingness athlete in American team history, the guy with the Laren championship uh, rings for the NBA for the Celtics. He was 29 years of age when Martin Luther King did I Had a Dream. 29 years of age. He was my age. He was my age. Sat in the front row when Martin Luther King did I Have a Dream in 1963. Um, and he is 86 now and his pinned tweet is explaining to Donald Trump why people are taking the knee. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Bill Russell's been retired for how long? Ooh. Probably since the late sixties. Exactly right, and and, and Bill, is Bill Russell, and I'm, you know, Bill Russell. Hopefully, is going to be around for a long time, but uh, you know, a couple more years. But Bill Russell's not going to see the end of white supremacy, and it's sad, man. It's sad that you know Graham Sunis has just given this pretty good talk on. Uh, he's given this pretty good talk on Sky Sports afterwards, talking about racism and how he. He said there's been two incidences in his career. He's been doing a lot of learning, a lot of listening recently. And he remembers two incidences where someone said something racist in a boardroom, at boardroom level, not in the changing room, but at boardroom level. And he did nothing. And now he understands he needs to do better. And that's cool. That's good that Graham Sunis is learning and wants to do better. If I told Graham Sunis right now, you you owe Paul Pogba an apology, I don't would he understand that? And I tweeted this just now saying Graham Sunis, if Graham Sunis it's good that Graham Sunis understands how he may have been complicit in racist conversations and how he wants to do better and how, you know, Graham Sooners very clearly in the way he talked on Sky Sports just now says he wants to, you know, help the cause and help do better things. And I still think Graham Sooners, you know, the way Graham Sooners was talking in Sky Sports basically means he's sort of waiting for the obvious thing, the obvious racist thing to happen so he can say that's bad. He's waiting for the obvious racist thing of a White Lives Banner thing for him to go, that's bad. Or he's waiting for the obvious thing of someone going, ooga booga, and he'll go, that's bad. I want Graham Sooners to go, I've said some really racially charged things about Paul Pogba and I'd like to apologize. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'd like for it to happen. And and I've I've just tweeted that saying if Graham Sooners wants to help make things better, he should give Paul Pogba a ring. I've had some you know well meaning white people go, I don't see the why 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 is what Graham Sooners has done to Paul Pogba wrong? He's just calling him a money grabbing twat. I'm like 
If you we don't understand, deserve Paul Pogba's fucking forgiveness, yo. Like, and that's the thing, right? You've and this is this this is why this is so hard because there is me. Pogba might have a good heart, you know. I I don't. <laughs> Double H, you were gonna say something. Carl touched on it, which is that it's very expensive to hire a plane. So the fact that you're willing to spend that much money to fly a plane that says "White Lives Matter." Is incredible, and also even when I saw it as like because because also called my friend sent it to me via WhatsApp. I I laughed. I found I found it funny because I'm like, well, yeah, this yeah, this is the England I know <laughs> because England is racist, very racist. It's just that England's racism is a racism that is very embedded that that you don't see. So the England that gets promoted to the world of like you know the Porsche, blah blah, the Queen, all that stuff. That's what they lie. You know the 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 countryside beyond the big cities like a, a Birmingham, a Bristol, a London, is extremely racist. <laughs> you know, and it's all about let's go white people, people and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, seeing that like it's not just no, it's not surprising. It's just that oh wow, you actually spend that much money, but like yeah, but it is England. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it didn't. When I saw it, it didn't surprise me. It just made me go, damn, like okay, like y'all really out here. Okay, cool. Like, not cool in the message, but just like, okay, I'm glad you're willing to tell me who you really are. Now, Carl, just quickly, into the, because uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you have, but I'm pretty sure you've probably read something or researched this yourself, because it seems like something a football journalist, a real one, would do. What is the process of hiring a plane? Like, is you the person real one. that wants the bent, does he have to fly the plane himself? Or does he have to go to a company and say, I want this message flown over this stadium at this time, do this for me. This company or, or, and the pilot has been hired by someone who's paid money for it. Um, right. and so, so, so the pilot, I don't, I don't want to talk about in like, yo, I'm not flying that banner across the, the stadium or like once you pay, like the dude has to do anything. I don't know if it's, he has to, but look, look I, I, I don't want to talk about this too much because gotcha. I know I, there's I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to become a, I'm pretty sure it's going to become a criminal case very very soon. Yeah, I don't yeah. talk about this too much because I'm also you know, I'm also being fed certain things on social media. I don't know what's real and I don't know what's not. But I would I'd imagine what's happened is and what seems to be one of the stories going around is someone with a uh, previous trouble with the police for race related sentiment has hired a company that has that does plane banners and paid the best part of 600 pounds to fly this message over it and they think it's funny or at least they think they're making some sort of strong political statement we'll probably get back to this next week when when more becomes clear yes um all right let's run through these questions that we got real quick red devilology asked what we thought about ty's interview we already discussed that um Joseph Lopez, I don't think he's asked a question before, so shout out to Joseph Lopez. He says, is it fair to judge an individual player based solely on the team they play for? For example, Messi's never won Argentina World Cup. While, yes, he should be performing better, is it really his fault? Trying not to bait, I promise. Um, so is it fair to judge an individual player based solely on a team they play for? I mean, no, you should never do that. You should always, everything comes with proper context. And we've been on this podcast before about Messi. Fair, I mean, you know, every time, every time we, every time we joke about Messi's record at international level, one of us eventually brings up Higuain or one of us brings up Alexis Sanchez at, at, at Copa uh, America. Um, 
I'd say I'd say the same thing one of my old English teacher said. For every rule, there's an exception, and context is important to everything. And I think we've worked really hard on this podcast, and I say one of the strengths of this podcast is how we try and apply context to stuff. So Messi's international record, we bring up Higuain. Um, one thing I never, ever, ever want anyone to ever do, ever, is uh, try and come up with stats as evidence for one single centre-back and why one single centre-back is good. Because centre-backs should be always equated as their pairing and how they work with their, with their person they're paired against. Um, do you know what? We have we have done like is, certain... people say he's so good. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. We've never seen a player like him before. He's the greatest there ever shall be. Then if you're that good, how come you haven't won a World Cup? I think that's where people come at this from. So it, it's almost like Messi's so good that he's judged on a different scale or a different level than other footballers. Because you can't say this guy's the greatest thing we've ever seen, and at the same time, he can't get it done in a World Cup final. You see what I'm saying? I think that's where people come at it from. So it's almost like his greatness makes people judge him harsher. I always look at the example of, of 2014, because 2010, all the time he was too young, and so forth. You know, 2018, team most of the players were past it, wrong manager. 2014, there is literally no excuse. That was the perfect team, perfect system, perfect situation for this great player. You say that is great to execute. So there isn't a thing of, oh, it's Higainis. Is it that? No. That's final, which was extremely tight. Nobody was given an inch. It was 50 50 all the way. That was the perfect opportunity that. This great player will now make the, the difference because Germany does have a mess. Germany doesn't have this generational talents that Argentina have. So a game that tight, where it is so close, a different kind of generational talent. <laughs> what do you say? They are different. They are different kinds of generational talent on that pitch. Yeah, man. They had Lam no. generational talent. Neuer generational. Yeah. Talent. Okay. Okay then. Okay. Okay then. Let, okay. Let, and this is the thing. Okay. And 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 this is and this is why context is important, right? And because hope, I I agree with eighty five percent of what you're saying. Like twenty ten, Diego Maradona was the manager and pretty much sabotaged that team out of his own bizarre mythology and I think the best image one of the best images of the 2010 World Cup is Maradona hugging Messi after Germany's just ruined Argentina knocked him out and Maradona's like hugging him, I'm so sorry not quite realizing it's his fault um 2018 yeah you're right that Argentina team was just unbalanced and putrid uh, and Messi tried all his best and got done by a much better France side 2014 yeah 2014 was the World Cup Messi that's the one where Messi was should have shown the world he was the best player in the world and should have taken Argentina to a to a World Cup victory. He took them within an offside goal of Gonzalo Higuain of winning the World Cup. This is the thing, like it's not that he flopped. It's not Messi flopped because if he he took that team from a really really shaky group stage and got them within a kick of winning the whole damn tournament. And no, I, I was no, just like no, you. No, no, he, he, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. That's a lie. <laughs> That's is, okay, that's fair. I, no, in no, terms no. of saying he no, needs to do this, I do this. I'd say the best second best player on that team was Di Maria, and Di Maria was injured. There, there's enough like Messi. Yeah, I, if you if anyone wants to go, Messi's not the all time great because he should have won a 2014 World Cup. I'd say fair enough. I'd also say he got really close. And sometimes, but, yeah, but Carl, it's it's the idea that, that like if you're that great, 
then how can I not judge you if you don't win in that moment? You see what I'm saying? And I think that's where these questions because come I, from. Because I think, I think, I think, because we 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 drastically, we drastically. It's, how do I put this? I'm trying to think of a more academic way of saying it. Because sometimes in sport, you need to be lucky and good, you know. And some, I think, some great athletes have had the virtue of being the best of all time, but also being quite lucky at the same time. Uh, some athletes have had the difference of being really, really good and having their luck be in neutral. So, like a really good example of someone who's been who's amazing but also quite lucky is Michael Jordan. He's got six rings in a row. Some of those rings came really close to him not getting it, and some of it is because of Michael Jordan being absolutely incredible. But also some of it's being like his role players just switched on at the time he needed to switch it on. Steph, you know, Steve Kerr hitting it when he needed to hit it. And whatnot, and like I'd say, one example of, of someone who's been quite lucky in some games and also quite unlucky in some things is LeBron James. Like LeBron James, Ray Allen hitting that three is him being quite lucky in sport. Uh, but another example of him being quite unlucky in sport is J.R. Smith not realizing what the score is. <laughs> right, and and like you want to talk so about? <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, and you want to talk about? Let's let's talk about an athlete who was lucky and good yeah. in terms of football. Like did they Deshaun didn't Zan, right? That Real Madrid team is sort of all the time about how it's been lucky and good and how not only was that Real Madrid team, not only did they have like loads of generational talent, but even if Ronaldo couldn't switch it on and, and bail out Real Madrid, someone else would, like Ramos would pop up or Marcello would pop up or something. And that was a case of being we've won through Champions League Road because at any point in time when we weren't good enough, we were lucky enough. Mm. And I think Messi's thing uh you know at Barcelona if he wasn't good enough he was lucky enough because he was surrounded by other amazing fans of Barcelona whereas at Argentina he needed a little bit more luck and he didn't get it and now he's too old and he's um, not gonna win it he's not gonna win a World Cup and that's that yeah all right oh, no. wait, 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 wait just just sort of round off my point make it quick the, because the point I was making was in 2014, yes, Germany had generational talents where they want to say it's fine, so I got a lamb. But Germany does not have a player that many consider arguably one of the greatest players of all time. There's, there was no player on that German team in 2014 that people put in arguments as he's the greatest player of all time. So in a game that's close, if you're the GOAT, you should have made the difference. And just to quickly clarify, yes, Messi gave the through ball for Di Maria to score against Switzerland, where was he going to score the amazing goal against Belgium? Messi totally disappeared in the semi-final and Mascarona had to do that last minute and block on Robin and Messi disappeared in the final. Don't rewrite the 2014 history. Messi was not the best player at that World Cup. Don't rewrite that history. He simply wasn't. I think when all is said and done, people realize that Messi is the greatest club player of all time, but there's no argument for him being the greatest player of all time. <sighs> okay. City are the best team in the Premier League and they're going to destroy Real Madrid. That's a comment from Ingozulu Matondo. Can we get have a, just this? This is a quick one, I think. Can we revisit the Phil Foden conversation on the next podcast? Is he a generational talent? What do you guys think? No. Do, you, do you think we've seen enough of Foden to like have the no, we haven't seen generational enough. talent deduct? Because it seems like he gets obviously he started the game today and that's probably informing this question. But it seems like, oh, he might play 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Oh, I can't play him because I want to play David Silva. It's like, we'll know next season, I think, that we might It's, it's his fourth start, you know? It's his fourth yeah, start. Yeah. It's, like, we'll, we'll, it's his we'll fourth start. Next he looks, it's his fourth start. He looks really, really good. 
Uh, and I think he, he definitely looks Premier League standard and he definitely looks as if he could slot into anyone up to ninth in the league and he'd improve them. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to call that a generation talent for someone at the age of 20, I don't know. I think, you know, the, the plan is that I think what's quite interesting is Manchester City and Pep Guardiola have all been like, the plan is there. David Silva's going to re- leave at the end of the season. Bernardo Silva gets promoted. Kevin De Bruyne gets promoted. And then Phil Foden comes into rotation. So Phil Foden will be, play- will be starting 20 Premier League games. Or will be starting 20 games in Manchester City next season. Is that enough? I don't know. This is The interesting now is this is a real test of how good is Pep Guardiola in terms of bringing the talent through. Because most footballing people would say Foden should be going out alone or Foden should be playing for someone else, someone else somewhere right now because he's good enough. Whereas perhaps going, wait. And we, we will only get the answer in 2024, really. Mm. Um, last question from forwards. This one's maybe tough. So if we don't have an answer, we'll just leave it. Um, after Neil Mope injured Leno, scored the winner and roasted Arsenal's players post-match, what are your favorite football memories of a player burying a club before, during, and after a match? So, so but can we think of any time a player just pre- owned another team? I know it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Is Didier Drogba in? I want to say is Didier Drogba in one? Yeah, Didier Drogba in many of the games against Arsenal. And uh, there's definitely one against, I want to say Liverpool in one of the Champions League games where before the second leg, Rafa Benitez said something about Drogba not, not basically not having the big game credentials. So then Drogba scored and then he slid on his knees in the aeroplane celebration in front of Rafa Benitez. Uh, someone's asking, is I run the goat? Have hope. What do you have to say about that? Um, if, if, if Casillas didn't 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 throw any things, Robin would arguably be one of the goats. But Casillas had other ideas, so it is what we're see. You have to be good, and if you can't be good, you need to be lucky. And unfortunately, Robin wasn't lucky in that World Cup final. No, 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 no. no. Um, you do understand what I'm talking about. Lucky though, just score the one on one. You did. You didn't score. It is what it is. So it's not. It's nothing to do with luck. What was the one time where Suarez dived in front of Moyes? What was that about? Do you remember that where he scored? Like I guess Moyes said that Suarez was a diver. Yeah, he was a diver. Then he yeah. scored, yeah. and his celebration, he went to the Everton bench and dived in front of the Everton bench. <laughs> I don't think he said anything after the match, but that one was pretty good. Uh. Yo, I would say the Adebayor one where he scored against against Arsenal that. and he ran, yeah. but then after the match, he apologized. And he was like, you know, my emotions got the better of me and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. That whole, you know, thing. So I don't know if he owned them after. But maybe apologizing when somebody's mad and you know they won't accept it. That way you know you have the upper hand. It's like I did the moral thing. And they're still going to be pissed off at me. Maybe that's what he was doing. I wouldn't put it past him. Can Agent explain why he thinks Maradona is better than Messi? If if there's a final, I would choose Maradona over Messi. Now, Messi may have more to his offensive game in terms of playmaking, passing, shooting, goal scoring, and so forth. But in terms of a player who can really inspire my team, mixed in with the talent, it's Maradona. Hence why I say 
taking everything into account for me, Maradona is the GOAT because he is the perfect blend of incredible ability and incredible character, all blended into one. Hence why... How do you quantify character? In a, in a final. I don't want Messi in a final. That's the last guy I want in a dual final is Messi because he has a horrible mentality and character. So it's... it's how, do you, how, how, do you quantify, how do you quantify character and how do you say that when we know Maradona was doing cocaine from Tuesday till Friday every week? That makes it even better. This should, <laughs> this should be led Napoli to two titles while being on cocaine. That's that's amazing. No, that's even, that's even what makes my my point. <laughs> it makes my point. Just giving him bonus points for cocaine. <laughs> that's incredible. I, all right, all right, that's enough for me. You know, but no, but, but yeah, it's like that works. Like, oh, my head hurts. Oh, he has man. a personality, man. He said and the cocaine makes it better. See, no, it doesn't. Talking Tactics does not advocate any hard drugs. Okay, so who do you guys think is better, Maradona or Messi then? I didn't watch I Maradona care. in real time. so And I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Actually, funny story. Let me, let me tell you guys. Funny story. So my first ever World Cup was the 94 World Cup. And this was a huge deal in Nigeria where everybody in Nigeria was hyped because this was our first ever World Cup. So we beat Bulgaria in our first game, and it's like a national holiday in the whole country. We're like blah blah blah, like because obviously we're sort of going through a bit of hard times and so forth. You know, era. Yeah. So this is what really brought brought the country together was was the World Cup. Hence, why these guys do you understand how important football is for the country? But yeah. So then it was Argentina, and I remember just people talking about so guys in the camp were saying that is Maradona will he play? Will he not play? So our players were terrified and scared of whether they will share the same pitch with Maradona. I'll try and forget, there's a clip where you see the Nigerian Argentina guys all walking toward the pitch. All of the Nigerian players were all staring at Maradona and you could see the fear in their eyes. 1994 Maradona though? See, see, that's the whole point. Even if it was 1994, he still had that power. That's, he was still this mythical force. That's even people in Nigeria were like, man, it's Maradona. Well, this, is the thing. this is the thing, Hope. I think here's the thing, right? This is a myth, right? It's mythical. It's not real. It's not real. Mar- 94, Mike Maradona was a greatly declined player from the one he was in 1990, and even then, that was a greatly declined figure from one from night from 1986, right? It wasn't it wasn't real. It's a shadow on the wall, and you know he gets done because the way he celebrated after scoring against Greece with his eyeballs bulging, everyone went, "Hang on, should we give him a drug test?" Um. <laughs> And also, this is the thing where like, it's it's just a lot harder for Messi to become a mythical figure because we're playing in the age of the internet. So everything's more fractured. We just started this podcast saying, we started this part of this podcast saying one of the most viewed matches in Premier League history was 5.5 million. Like, the FA, FA Cups used to get 13 million, 20 million because it was on free t- television before the internet. It's just hard. It's harder to attain legendary like mythical status nowadays and the fact that Messi comes somewhere near close to Maradona and you're able to able to have such a conversation uh, is a testament to his talent but also I don't care if you want to say Messi's the best Messi's the best if you want to say Maradona's the best Maradona's the best if you think Iniesta's better than Zidane fine if you think it's the other way fine I don't care it gets me nowhere in life anymore <laughs> bro thank you who gives a shit <laughs> I don't care <laughs> so which which teams will benefit more from the new Champions format this August? This format is perfect for PSG. If they're fully fit, 
puts everything to one side. It's now when you bring when you now bring the full picture. Okay, they haven't played uncompetitive, but independent of that, this format just focusing on mm, this. Format, okay, got you, got you. It benefits PSG. What is the format for those that don't know? So it's it's, it's uh, we've round will be so you'll have the second legs played or the second round. Then from the quarterfinals, semifinals is all one game. And this is in one, all in one. Yeah, because it's basically all seventh and ninth. Sing, it's a single elimination tournament being held in Lisbon. So it's a Club World Cup. Yes, essentially, pretty much. And it begins in August. I, th- I think of the teams in, in a single elimination. So I think Manchester City have an advantage because they have the greatest squad depth and the greatest manager in club football at the moment. Um, I think PSG have it because they have the most, co- like the highest collection of just generational star talent so Neymar can win a game by just having a hot 10 minutes as can Mbappe so I think those two have advantage and I think Atletico Madrid can't be underestimated because Diego Simeone has the cojones those are the three those are three teams oh wait no those are three teams to watch but also Bayern Munich is going to win it because they're Bayern Munich that's our podcast for this week guys follow us on the social medias Carl where can people find you on the internet command 616 you can find me on the athletic I'll most likely be writing about football racism this week right how where can people find you on the internet you can find me around, man. I'll be around, bro. He just doesn't want to give the website. Yeah, um, I'll be around, man. I'm, 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 I'm at Daniel to look on Twitter. Me, me. Follow me over there. We will see you guys next week. Talk and this podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.